welcome to another episode of Expanding Motherhood Single and Black. I am your host, Kim, and I'm so excited you have decided to tune in and listen. If this is your very first episode, welcome. If you are part of the community here, welcome back. I am so grateful for each and every one of you. If you missed out on the last episode, I had a chance to sit down and chat with Saida about legacy planning and building wealth as a single mom. Today, I am going to be sitting down to chat with some educator moms as we discuss virtual learning. But before we hop into the episode, I wanted to let you guys know that this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. I know that with school back in session, a lot of us are doing virtual learning, some of us are doing in-school learning. It can just be very stressful and we need help learning how to manage that stress. I know many of you are interested in therapy, but in the past, you may not have felt like you have the time or even know where to begin. Or maybe you just felt like if only you had the money to invest in a therapist. Well, guess what? I have a solution for you. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And the exciting thing is that you can start communicating with your therapist in under 24 hours. It is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And it's super convenient right now because we're all at home with our kids. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. This service is available for you wherever you are, all over the world. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You will get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if the one you were assigned is not a good fit. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. So no excuses. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. They have offered 10% off your first month for being a listener here at Expanding Motherhood Single and Black. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash experiencing motherhood. That's better. H-E-L-P and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. I will include the link in the show notes. Now, without further ado, let's hop into this episode. Hi ladies, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have the majority of you back and Andrea joining us for the first time, can you please take just a moment to introduce yourself? Well, my name is Khadija Smith. I am uh, I'm in, in the DMV area. I'm a principal of the K-8 school. I have two children who are 8 and 11, and that's me. All right, Khadija, you are in private, right? Not public. Yes, I'm in private. I'm Crystal, Crystal Macklin. I am... Ooh, I've been in education over well over 20 years. Um, I was a high school math teacher, high school principal, and now I'm currently doing education consulting. So I do a lot of training with teachers. Good evening. I am Andrea. I too, like Khadija, hail from the DMV. Uh, she's in private. I'm in public. Uh, this is my 21st year in Whoa, early childhood education. 21. Yes, 21 years in early childhood education. I have a seven-year-old son who I think is asleep right now, which is good because <laughs> it was getting a little rough in the house. <laughs> so I needed this space. I'm Dee, and this is my 11th year in education. 
I am also in Prince George's County Public Schools. Awesome. Thank you guys for those introductions. So I've heard that the risk for in-person learning are low, but the costs for keeping schools open are enormous. How do you feel knowing this as educators and parents? And then if you are returning to the classroom or if you are working from home, let us know what that looks like, how you feel and what that looks like. I want to clarify that statement. Though the risk for kids is low, they come home to adults and that risk is high. Mm -hmm. So it's also that too. So even though the prices or the costs would probably have been low, the pushback would have been them coming home to adult parents or um, some people have grandparents in the home and what that risk will do to their home. True. So, um, so that I wanted to just qualify that statement. And also, yes, it is very expensive. Um, I spoke to um, Prince George's County, the CEO, and she said, just to the fuel for the busing that it'll take is not worth it because there's a lot of busing and we have to think about students who from come from rural areas that have to bus into city schools and they have to be they have to be six feet apart and that means the amount of people you can usually put in the bus is very low right and then the amount of trips so that the fuel she said was just not worth it and the mask the the cleaning and then the classrooms you can't have as you we go from 30 kids classrooms to now we're saying oh we're going to cut that back and have 14 i believe it's 14 to 1 now um it's not worth it in terms of yes the cost as well but it would have always even if the cost was low i think the pushback would have been that our kids might not be at risk high risk but they come home and you know what, the mathematician in me, I, so Khadija, you just turned on some light bulbs for me because I never thought about what you just talked about with the fuel. I, that I like went right over my head, but that's enormous. The mathematician in me was calculating just what you're talking about with um, the amount of, a, you know, the kids going home. So you're talking about exponential exposure in the building all of those individuals in that room or the teachers, because I, I heard one school's plan initially was to have all the kids stay put in one room and like, let's say their primary teacher and then their specials teachers would just rotate. rotate. Right? Mm -hmm. And all I kept thinking was, but all of these people come in contact with somebody else. So including the kids, and then who are these kids going home to? And I heard a business owner talk about it. He said, one of the things that I realized I couldn't control was what my employees did when they left my place. So, and he was talking about his decision to not open up or to not open up dining. Cause in Ohio, they did eventually open up the restaurants. And so he was talking about his decision to not open up in-store dining. And he, that was his reason. And I kept thinking about that, about schools. Like you cannot control what happens when they come out. The other thing that I thought about was, was the reporting. So you are relying on people to tell you I'm positive. We can't get parents to say sometimes that the kid has, has or had strep throat. Yeah. So you think, that they're gonna, you know, and, and I heard I heard some leaders. Well, they're giving their kids their Tylenol before they come to That's school. right, to reduce their fever. Yes, <laughs> hoping that Tylenol did not wear off before, you know, so you, a little, you just got a little temperature. I'm gonna give you some time. <laughs> but that's what we're checking when you first real. Know that is real. And I'm that as real. a single mom, I've done it. <laughs> I've, you know i now i granted i would do the assessment like okay let me look at your mouth you know i would look for things that were highly communicable but if you just had a little feet you know like you got them you're like mommy i don't feel good and you had like a little 99 100 i would give you that little tylenol watch the clock and i'll be thinking okay i'm gonna get that call at lunchtime and like you know but we've all done it so I know that even as a single mom, when my kids were young, that I wasn't as, I, I, no, I, knew, I wouldn't have even been considered poor, so to speak, but I didn't have, and I had family resources. So all I think about are the moms and the dads who, did, who weren't teachers. So they don't have a kind of job that I could say, well, 
at least let me get through a half of that. They have to be there. And you, you really thinking these people are going to report, especially if they're sick. You have adults that aren't saying that they're sick. That, and that was exactly what I was going to say. I've known a situation where the adult was sick and didn't say anything. And then wow. we found an elderly couple and the, 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 the husband got sick. And so, you know, you're thinking as an adult, you didn't say anything. And now here it is. Somebody else has been affected because of your actions. Ay, ay, ay. Wow. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so torn because my son's school hasn't decided. Like, tomorrow's my big D day. So, Kim, I might call you and be like, girl, oh, no. <laughs> uh, you know, at one point I was like, oh, we're good. We're doing this. And now I'm like, oh, well, we're going to do this. Now I don't know what we're going to do. I have a friend who was sold. She was like, hey, look, my child is going back to school. I got to go to work. The school door is open. He's there. And she had me convinced. And then she called me. And she was like, well, yeah, no, I'm not so convinced anymore and I'm like oh lord <laughs> what am I gonna do oh, um, wait, are y'all working from home are y'all going back to well I know uh Crystal you do consulting so that's still like virtual but for the rest of y'all are y'all heading back to the school or well I know you're not D because <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Goldson said no <laughs> Um, I don't know what the, I, I think we can go to our classrooms to teach. So they, I'm they not very go sure. Go to the classrooms to teach if you guys want to. So if yeah, you I want to, but. To, some people feel more comfortable. D and I are in the same school district, so I can, you know, speak on this. They, oh, they, wow. Okay. <laughs> yes. She's been to my building before. So, yeah. <laughs> so they have the option home. of teaching from their classrooms or they okay. can teach from home. Some people feel more comfortable being in their classrooms, being in that space. So they did allow for teachers who wanted to go to the classrooms to be in a classroom. And on a meeting with our CEO, she said she had a teacher who was like, look, I don't have enough space in my house to do what I need to do. Please let me go back to the classroom. Is it closed for students, though? It's closed yeah. for students through January 29th, at least. Wow. Wow. At least. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. How about for you, Khadijah? Teachers have to be on site. Okay. But children are virtual. Okay. And do you think that has to do with, you know, being private or do you think oh, definitely. All uh, I, I, th I think um, it's definitely having to do with private. I don't think public can mandate that their teachers have to be in the building, especially if they deemed it unsafe for kids. For us, we have that flexibility. Like private schools in the Maryland area, are, they're suing each other, right? The parents oh. are suing the private schools. The private schools are suing the mayor. The health director is the suing governor the mayor. intervened on things with private schools have decided. It's real like the governor refuses to intervene and say it's unsafe for kids to attend private schools. The health care director says it is unsafe for anybody to be in the school, for the kids to be in the school. The parents are suing the school because if the governor didn't say it was unsafe, why are you closing school? Wow. So that's that that's what's going on over here private schools pretty much have autonomy to do whatever they like most private schools have said we're doing 100 percent virtual at least until october 1. Wow. so my child's private school which is in pg county is opening um they are opening for preschool only and k-8 yeah. will be virtual the way that it was described to us for the preschool department sounded like jail I said, I don't think that my money is really going to be worth that tuition price for my child to not have to any centers throughout the day, um, no carpet time, pretty mm. much at the table in their, her own little designated space from eight to three. So I have decided to pull her out this year just because I just didn't feel like it was worth the risk. So have y'all been in communication with any teachers that may be like down south who, you know, they don't have an option. They have to go to the classroom because I wonder, you know, like how they are feeling at this point. Like they don't have a choice. They have to go um, and they've been mandated to go in. But then they also have children at home, you know, that maybe they have the option to do virtual learning. Yes, I have a line sister in Southern Virginia. Mm -hmm. And she's a teacher as well. They're telling them they have to go into the building and find childcare for your kids. Are they so, teaching students or are they just? No, they're teaching before? virtually until okay. I believe the end of the first nine weeks. But she has two kids. 
and they pretty much told them, find childcare for your kids. You have to report to work, figure out what you're gonna do with your kids because they can't come. We're mandating our teachers go on site and we're creating a classroom for their kids, childcare for their kids. We were ready and prepared. Like we have this glass, we have the, you know, nothing's 100% safe. Let me just say that, right? right? So if you're expecting something that is solid, even when you go back in January, nothing's going to be solid and bulletproof. Nothing, everything is not going to be 100%. We can't, schools can't guarantee your kid won't get COVID. Let's just be very clear. Most schools are just waiting for the vaccination or for it to be less contagious. That's what we're doing. Um, but nothing's 100%. So we are providing childcare. Like I, we have, my kids go to my school. So we have, uh, it's, I believe it's eight of them. So it's eight kids. So we're providing a six feet distance, uh, virtual, I'm not in class space for them to do. And we rotate through to teach each other's kids. Okay, wow, that is pretty awesome considering, you know, the circumstances of everybody else. Now, how you guys feel about just, you know, being ready for this online environment? Do you feel like you're ready? Do you feel like you have some anxiety around this? How are you managing your feelings and your thoughts about, you know, I guess juggling between your teaching and then, you know, helping your child with their distance learning. I'm not okay. It's it's a definitely, it's a tough space and some days are easier than others. I know for me, it's it's managing meetings and different phone calls. And, you know, yesterday was like the best day ever. And then today was a train wreck. Um, You know, I'm still trying to keep him engaged in some kind of social fun, but then also trying Mm -hmm. to get some hands-on learning while it's still summer, but because I have to work. And so, you know, yesterday we did good. Like he did what he needed to do. I was able to do what I needed to do. And then today it was like all rules went out the door. So I think you have to be open that every day is not going to be the best day, (laughs) but you have to have a plan. And I think that that's what's key because the kids are going to still need that schedule. The consistency and the routines are what are going to support them as learners. But, Mm -hmm. But you as a parent also have to be flexible. I completely agree. I think in March, it was more like me trying to keep their schedule consistent. And now me, August is as long as they get in these things. Yes. <laughs> right. And, and, and it's the truth of the matter is um, as long as they're doing something academic every day the core subject areas and we spoke about that before just remaining flexible but having a plan that's exactly right what's the schedule for today what are the what are these five things or three things whatever you, that your child needs to complete and if they get that done that's a win right and everything else was just okay like it's like a to-do list what is the must do on your to-do list high priority and what is not as long as they get to the high priority then that was a win. I'm no longer holding my child bound to everything on the list because it it it, de- it definitely holds me hostage too, and that doesn't feel good. And it so, stresses you out. So by the time that you've done holding them hostage, you're tired. They're tired. Yes. Still got them much stuff to do, and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I'm like, good. You ready today? Good. Now, Khadija, because you were involved in the decision-making of the schools staying open, but for those schools, they are requiring students or, I guess, remaining open and giving parents that option. Um, Do you think that the health of those students are being factored into those decisions, or is it mainly about state funding? Well, well, let me just say, in private schools, it's not one person's decision. Like, I have a whole board that makes this decision. It's not, it's, it's above me now, okay? So we look at surveys, we're looking at board. Most, it, I, secretly, what people are not saying, parents want their kids to be in school. That's what people are not really saying publicly. What people are not saying publicly, when we get these surveys back, 40% of our parent population does, do not want their children at home. They don't want to say that publicly because then they'll, then they'll have to admit that, they kind of, they don't care if their children get COVID. It's like that kind of catch 22, right? So the, nobody's really saying that part, right? So it looks like the schools are pushing this agenda, but 
private schools are looking at parent surveys and because we know we get paid off of what parents want. And most of our parents, well, 40% of our parents, which is a lot, want on-site classes. So just in terms of, it's not saying that they don't care about the kids. The parent, it's the parent. They have to drive this. So if just like um, I believe Dee said that there's parents that have to go to work. They don't have a choice. Right. And especially they have to childcare. Yeah. Like, paying for childcare is sometimes doesn't even make any sense in terms of is it best that I pay for your childcare probably just cancels out your check. It's more so the schools catering to the household than to us. Because I, I when I tell you that it's more parents on our task force saying that they want their kids to go back than anybody else. I think we need to do an honest survey with parents. <laughs> yeah, I can I can actually agree to that. Like my daughter goes to public school and they did send out parent surveys and they actually published the results of those surveys and majority of the parents did want their kids to return to school if there were safe measures in place. However, <laughs> there were still some that said that they weren't comfortable, but if things got better, that they would be much more likely to send their children to school. Um, so then there was a part about, you know, technology and access and transportation mm -hmm. and things like that. And so in my community, a lot of parents um, did not have a problem with technology. Everybody mainly had access. The school ended up offering you know, hybrid, I guess you can do like the first nine weeks in class and then you can switch to the next nine weeks virtual or vice versa. I'm just curious to know like how the teachers are feeling, I guess, in those situations. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have any teacher or educator friends in those situations, but that's how it is in a lot of the schools down here. Okay. Down I'll just say that I think the difference because um, you guys are in Michigan, I'm in Ohio, and then you're in Texas. Mm -hmm. There's also a big difference in how teachers unions function. Mm. Oh yeah, teachers unions. Yeah. So I know up here, the unions are strong. Mm -hmm. And so for public schools, I think it was two factors. I think it was definitely what Khadija said about money. I know um, Cleveland Metropolitan School District, which is the big one here, um, their CEO came out. He, he actually was the catalyst for everybody else either backtracking on their plans or saying, okay, we're not crazy. There are other, other you know, there are big districts that are saying, no, we're going to go virtual at least for the first nine weeks. So he kind of set the stage and everybody else started to follow suit. Because the day he announced it, I, I was like, watch, all these schools that had rolled out these elaborate plans, they started to backtrack. But um, I think it was a combination of when they calculated the cost to keep everybody safe and teachers unions were threatening to strike and sue. I did hear oh. talk about that on the daily. Yeah. yeah. So up here, it, it, I, you know, I, I've, I've heard, I can't say as an expert, but I've heard that Southern teachers unions are not as strong. So that could have a lot to do with the, a lot of these decisions because parents wanted kids to go back to school here and some of the affluent districts, uh, you know, suburban districts around here and private schools, they are going back on some kind of um, hybrid system. Mm -hmm. But we'll see how long it lasts because all it takes is one outbreak, one classroom, and then it's done. Yeah, so some people were saying that, you know, Trump really wanted um, schools to open back up and so you have some Republican governors who are trying to mandate the schools mm -hmm. to um, go back. So like here in Texas, I think the governor mandated the schools to open maybe five days a week, but then you have some schools that have either delayed the openings or they have given parents the option to, you know, like I said earlier, do um, first nine weeks or second nine weeks. But then it's crazy because you look like I'm in, um, I'm outside of Houston in a suburban area, right? But then you have Houston independent school districts where some of them are 100% online. So it's just like, how is it so different when we're all like in the same area? And then you talk about the governor mandating it, but then I guess maybe the mayors have additional power or something. Um, so I don't know. It's just very interesting to see how 
these differences play out across the United States. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think right even here in, in the state of Maryland, there's just no way. We look so different, whether you are here in Prince George's, you're in Montgomery County. Well, if you go over the Bay Bridge, it looks completely different, but you're still in the state of Maryland. It's so funny because they say the air is even different over on the other side of the bridge. The elephant in the room is socioeconomics. That's and right. Getting and there. So, <laughs> I mean, I, even, I had this conversation with a colleague uh, last week. And in Ohio, I'm sure, and I think they've done this in every state, they have like the, the map and they'll give each county a color based on number oh, yeah. of the, Yeah, the risk. And, mm -hmm. and we're like, you mean to tell me that all of the high minority, because Ohio's a Republican state, all mm -hmm. the high minority areas the are in the red or whatever the severe color is, and out in the suburbs and rural counties, there's nothing. You mean to tell me that? Like, and I'm, as again, as a mathematician, I know you're not basing those colors on people, like saying, okay, five people in this county and 20 in this one, because then if you, you can't compare because of the, the population difference. So you, you have enough sense to know to equalize the, the data. You mean to tell me person for person, these counties aren't, aren't aren't in trouble even right. I just, like so there I, I, I and that to me is the the caution that i think as as black parents that we have to pay attention to yes we have to work and, and i do i i have the utmost empathy and i i pray for parents that have to make this decision because my, my children are all adults and i don't have to worry about that but i couldn't imagine having to make that call if I had to. So it's almost like schools have made the hard call, which opens the door for parents and, and employers to have to rethink. But yeah, it there's there's more to this than just, oh, these parents decided to open the school in these days. No, it's more than that. It's a lot of I agree. It's definitely race. It's definitely economics. Um, because black and brown are the most impacted, right? Black people are the most have been impacted from since day one with this was COVID. So, and also access. When we talk about technology and that access to be able to do a virtual learning, this is going to mostly impact low-income kids. Yeah, they're gonna be. I'm so I like I get it. I'm more scared not of COVID, of the state of Black children in education when they return. That's yeah. So when we talk about years behind, they've already had this, this achievement gap, this equity gap, this debt of not being able to provide sufficient education in the first place. Now you're saying you're not going to get nothing, anything, or like subpar. There are teachers who only log in. Their only requirement, I know a teacher in D.C., her only requirement is her, her teachers have to meet with their kids two times a week. That's their requirement. Uh -huh. Wow. And some teachers don't even have the, the, the mindset of how to even effectively do virtual learning. And that's the hard space too, because you can engage students, but you've got to be in the right mindset to be thinking out of the box from a virtual mm -hmm. space. And some teachers are just not there. And then how do you engage 25 five-year-olds on a Zoom call at one time? You know, it, uh -huh. it's, it's, a, it's a larger conversation about the state of education and and just you hit it on the nail like there's already an achievement gap that's going to grow wider and wider just because of the state that we're in yeah and that brings me to you know my next question so in the past we had talked about how a lot of schools were not prepared and only a small segment of them required live teaching now some teachers have said that they didn't want to return to the classroom but they also didn't want to do live teaching so i just you know, want to know what your schools are doing to prepare for this fall. Are they mandating live teaching or are they leaving it up to you guys? Like, do you get to decide, you know, whether you actually, you know, hop on a live, you know, Google Classroom type deal or Zoom or, you know, is it not an option for you? Dee, what you got to say? 
Go ahead. I'm still saying my little two cents. It's not wait, an option. Wait, wait, D, before you say something, I did work hard to revise your schedule, okay? So um, your schedule should be looking a little revised in the new plan update. I did recommend- Which, which, draft, which draft is this? Is this uh, <laughs> 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 my kindergarten people dug deep and they were like, um, hey, we need you to do yeah. something for yeah. us. And so I did dig deep and make a recommendation on a change to the schedule. Now, whether or not y'all saw the light, Andrea was advocating for her folks in kindergarten. Please, because so I don't see what you got to say. Go. Okay, so this is before I look at the new draft. That I looked at that and I said, "How in the world am I supposed to do this?" And be a mom of a four-year-old, like, and then how do you engage? 20 something five-year-olds from eight to three on zoom oh uh -uh. i was like they're gonna fix this because this is not even gonna work like what we had in the spring was doable that nine to one schedule i could work with that my kids saw me every day because we did it as a team like my teammate would teach reading I would teach math. We broke okay. it up that way because there was okay. no way that we were going to be able to effectively reach. Well with that. Exactly. So that was doable, nine to one. But you want me to start at eight and it ends at three o'clock? So you're required to be on live every day from eight to three. Don't get her started, Khadijah. That's not <laughs> what the schedule said. <laughs> that is not what the schedule said. Oh, um, it was not what the regular schedule said, but I think the original schedule, and, and I did, I was not on that piece. I focused on the younger ones. Um, I believe it had four hour sessions for live. Is that the last one you saw, D? Yes. It had like, like eight to eight 30. Then I think like a, a nine 45 to like 10 30 was our reading block. And then after that, you can break out in small groups and then have like, I think lunch and come back on for writing instruction for 30 minutes and come back on for math for an hour and then come back on for science, social studies, health, art, dance. I'm, I'm like, what? So the kids though, I hear what y'all are saying. Are y'all telling me that the kids are, <laughs> what you think it could be? I'm like, the y'all expect, or I won't say y'all, somebody, somebody. So let me let me give you an aha. Uh, last week I did a I did a um, professional development for a group of high school teachers, small high school staff, very cohesive. Been on it. It's actually an early college high school, so the kids in a normal setting they do two years of of high school condensed, and then they do two years at the college that's right across the street. Mm -hmm. So I did a, did a PD for them, and I just did a, a like a, a hour and a half session two days in a row. But they did their PD session from like nine to whatever. So the last day after my session, because I was just like giving them training on how to engage virtually, how to use the different tools in Zoom, that kind of thing. One of the teachers said, I'm fried. Now they only been doing this for three days. He said, I'm fried. What are they going to do? How are we going to do this? And they're doing like four days a week or something like that virtually. But that's, these are high school kids who have a mission, are trying, you know, these are good achieve you know good, good good working kids they got a principal they love i mean this school is as ideal of a high school as i can in a public setting that i can see mm -hmm. how you gonna do that with a five-year-old who by the way might be being watched by their 12 year old brother or sister like i just I, like i don't understand the logic and like like what you guys are describing, the teachers, it's a, these are live sessions. These are not pre-recorded fun stuff that they can watch and play. It's not Sesame Street. Like this is the teacher sitting in front of a screen talking to you and you don't. So for the younger ones, I know, you know, it's this debate where you have an accountability to provide so many hours of instruction to students. So I know when I was working on and, and asking for feedback from the teachers, we tried to break it up so that they weren't on screen time for long periods of time. Uh, we're talking about four-year-olds from my group. And so I think I have them on for like 20 minutes to do a read aloud and some opening kind of activities. But it was interesting because I was playing with Google Meets. And so I was able to figure out how to call students 
on Google Meet. So I was like, how do you take this away so that parents don't have to get involved? So I found my godchildren. There's like four of them in, a, in the same household. There was two kindergartners, a third grader, and a fifth grader. I'm like, I'm going to try to call them through this Google Meet on the school system's email to see if it worked. And so I was able to Google Meet them all at one time. So it took away their parents having to sit there and say, okay, now it's your time to get on here or it's your time to get on there. I did the phone calls. I set them up as a group to just be able to call them when it was their time. Um, so our initial schedule does have like a group one coming in for 20 minutes and then they get to do some hands-on activities. We provided all of our youngest learners with a take-home kit that has all kinds oh, of materials, really um, everything that they could need from the classroom, we provided for them to take that home. So if we were doing a story about the first day of school, you know, you could draw a picture of what you look like on the first day of school while I go work with group B. And then, you know, we could check back in and, and you know, use our, our time together to talk about it and have that interaction. But it was always small chunks of time and then small groups of students. But it was never anything where it's a long chunk of time where I'm having all of my children at one time. So because it was small groups and it was small chunks of time, it seemed more doable, but also because we provided children with the resources to do something at home, made it feel a little bit more doable. And I, I'm actually, as pessimistic as I may sound, I'm actually a firm believer that it, where there's a will, there's a way, and it's doable. Like, it's just gonna look different. So I think to, for parents that are, that are gonna be listening, I think the thing that, I want to say more than ever, you've got, you're going to have to pay attention to what is happening with your child on a daily basis. Do they have a teacher that's actually engaging them? Absolutely. Interacting with them. Yep. Because I think like, like you just explained, Audrey, I think there are going to be some teachers that are going to rock the socks off their classes. They're going to do some amazing creative things with, with young students, older students, whatever, whatever group is in front of them. But then just like in person, you're gonna have some teachers that have checked out and because someone said, you have to come, I'm gonna show up. I'm not gonna grade anything. I'm not gonna have any standards. I'm not gonna make any requirements and they're children. So if, they, if nobody makes them, they won't. Yes, parents have to work and I'm not saying give up your job to do that, but I think what you do have to do is check in and you have to ask the right questions. And you have to hold people accountable. Uh, yeah. I think that's key. I know when our, our CEO came out, she was like, this is my standard. I, you know, I'm making this promise that your children will have X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, if you don't see these things, you know, these was what you need to do. So there has to be accountability on all levels to ensure that children are getting somewhat of a quality education. That's good. So Khadija mentioned earlier about you know how there hasn't been a lot of talk about you know the consensus among parents not only is Khadija saying it but other people are saying that parents of color and low-income parents are most scared most concerned to send their kids back to school but then they're also afraid of their kids falling behind and we know that not attending school leads to kids being less likely to read more dropouts in high school, malnutrition, because you know a lot of them get their meals at school, lack of counseling, and special education programs, therefore leading to delayed social and educational development. So it's like this battle between, you know, do I send my child to school and risk their health, you know, if there's an option for that, or do I not send my kids and try to help them at home, what are y'all's thoughts about this? You know, what advice do you have for parents who, I guess, have been depending on these resources, especially if they have a kid, you know, that is special needs? You know, you can't really do that online. I think what, what is missing out of this whole piece, we've talked about what the children need. We've talked about what the, what the teachers need. The parents need education, right? They need, okay, they need to know what, virtual learning will mean for them to be effective. We talk about what the teachers, they had training, what they need to be effective and what the, what the students will need to engage in learning to get them in. But what does the parent need to be effective? Because the truth of the matter is you have an engaging teacher and even if the teacher was amazing, 
right? A part of what makes a teacher a really great teacher is she has strong routines. He or she has strong routines and procedures, right? They know a student knows what to expect. A student knows where to get what they need. They know where to find what they need to find because that's, and we have taken that away from teachers. There's no decorating your room and color coding. There's no where to find your independent reading books. There's no circle time. It's time for circle time. That has now become the parent. The parent has to put certain things in place to make it easy for the child to manage. So if we're saying that it has, a child has a schedule like, what does that look like for a parent routines and procedures wise for that child to be successful every time they meet with Miss D? What does that mean? Like, what do they need to have in front of them? What do you need to do to be prepared? What do you need to help me with for your child to be successful in this space? And we talk about it and we don't want to overwhelm parents. But the truth of the matter is a huge part of a teacher's success is routines and procedures. What does that parent education look like? So if you have a child with special needs, how can you read your child's IEP? Because I've always had to read it. How do you read your child's IEP to make sure that their hours, not only am I calling my special education teacher to figure out if they're going to do one-on-one Zooms, what do I need to do to ensure that that support that they will get during a pullout is getting with me, right? How do you read your child's IEP? How do you differentiate because parents know that how your child learns? I was thinking even parents organizing their child's space. Oh, child, I, I got one video. You think about it in the classroom, you know your pencils go here, yeah, the books right. go here. And, you know, when you go home, you got to have that same thing, that same organization. And I think, you know, in the mindset of educators, you naturally do it in the classroom. That's but now right. parents got to know if your child is going to be working in said space, they have to be organized. So that's that means right. that they need to be able to know where to put things <laughs> my son's space like lord i gotta get it's just like the classroom here's where your pencils go it's labeled pencils. here's where your paper is it's labeled paper i mean we had to go as far as even making him little charts to put up mm-hmm. and then i had to say to the teacher yeah look he needs a checklist can you help me with this checklist and you know we worked together and she created a math checklist so that he could get through his problems i had to post that for him to be able to see because he needed that when he was working at home. So it's an organizational space from both your materials and your mindset. How do you organize yourself as a learner? And and that's not something I can go into every 25 kids' homes and do that. But as a parent, as as an advocate for kids, I can now say, parents, you got to look at your child's space. Do you have baskets? Go to the dollar store. Maybe you need these trays to help organize your child for learning because if they're not organized for learning their their uh what's the word of executive functioning skills especially for right. younger children oh it's a it's a wrap yeah. they're doing more damage than good if they're not being able to to have those executive functioning skills be working in the right direction for student success and organization is huge and so yeah. now it's going to be the parents have to organize the learning space and root the oh, or- really good. i'm sorry crystal no, I was saying the or they're absolutely right. The organization and routines. I know there's a um there's an Instagram page, and I'll I'll look up the name and send it to you. Okay. But the whole thing is uh it's like Dollar Tree or Dollar Store classroom. Oh and wow! Have so, seen that? And and the, I don't know who runs the page, but they post like you know every few days they'll post something that you that's at the Dollar Store right now, and they'll show how you can use it in the classroom, and it's really helped. So I know that it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. Think about what Khadijah said about the IEP, and she's so right. I had a parent, you know, I found myself like giving her the scoop on the structure. Like you, you assume because a student has had an IEP for so many years that the parents understand the process. And it was an aha for her that she could request a team meeting at any point. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think her student had multi, was multi-handicapped. So she was like, logging onto a computer, giving virtual work, that's just not going to work for my student. And I said, well, it's not really for you to have to figure out too much about how you get those resources. That's the school district's responsibility. So that's a question Mm -hmm. you have to ask. You might want to reach out and just find out if your listeners need like more concerted, focused topics around some of the- Special education. Okay, I'll do that. Even what Andrea was saying about the organization and how to set executive function yeah and the executive function things like what should you be doing because i know a lot of parents just they they know they need to do something Mm -hmm. they and the decision is personal 
you know, it's either personal or it's, it's forced, you know, mm-hmm. because it just is what it is. But in any case, you know, it's, it's not a judge, like it's nothing to judge a person on. So the person that feels like I need to send my student to school it's is okay. no worse. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. It's really yeah. okay. So yeah. how do you help somebody through whatever decision that they've, that they've made? Yeah. yeah, and that brings me to my next question, but you guys have kind of talked about it a bit. It was just, you know, regardless of the decision the parents make, whether they decide to keep them at home or, you know, send them to school, um, what are some things they should be doing to prepare? And I know you guys have talked about organization, communicating with their teacher, um, understanding and getting educated on what their role is during the season. Um, anything else? Should they have a plan in place if, you know, their kid happens to, you know, contract it? Um, should that be something that they have in place? You know, we want to make sure that they can also maintain their social skills, but in a safe way, and then continue to develop academically. I think I don't know. you got to be prepared for everything. I mean, all options, because you never know which way you were going to shift. I mean, it was funny. I, I ordered the little mask that had the, the little things on the end, because I didn't know which way we were going to go. And he kept pulling them off. I'm like, no, you can't pull them off. Well, this has a little squeegee thing on there. So you have to prepare for all areas, because um, you just don't know which way the wind is going to blow, even down to comfortable seating. Um, he, my son didn't want to sit in a chair. He, the kitchen chair wasn't comfortable for him. So I had to make an investment in one of those um, hockey sticks where he could move around, you know, while he was doing his work. So you have to start preparing for all aspects of this because it's going to be too late to try to build in the midst of a storm. So we got a few weeks now to get ready. Yeah. I, I also think just trying to think out of academics. I think academics as an educator, it might stress, it does stress me out, but I think what stressed me out, and I don't know if other parents feel this way, is the lunch, is the snack. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That I need to manage. So for me, creating a menu like a school would do, creating Mm -hmm. snack time like school would do, helped me out. And I also created, I I bought a toaster oven and certain things that they could do on, on their own. I put how many minutes it needs to go in. I put would it need to be on bake or toast. So there's certain things that took me out of the equation. Anything you could do to make your child independent in this time to take you out of this equation because I can't manage academics and the other stuff. Like I gotta have, I I can't cook every day. I'm not gonna cook lunch every day. Like there's certain things that I need to prepare for outside of academics that frees me up for my own sanity. And if that means that I'm teaching them how to make a sandwich now, so by the time school starts, they know how to make their own sandwich. They know how to prep their snack um, for the week and this, I mean, for the day. And when you use all your snack in this basket, you ain't got no more snack. And that's what it is. Like, I remember that. Like, Like, you know, because kids, that was me. Don't lie. Since kids been home, they think they can eat all day. Yes. Exactly. No, this is your snack for the day. Your bag is empty. And I think it's also a matter of preparing yourself as a parent for your physical space, your, your, yourself physically and emotionally. I think a lot of time we're preparing the kids and we're getting the kids and the kids and the kids, but you got to think about yourself. And, you know, where is your self-care? Because, you know, if you're no good, then you're not going to be any good for them. So you also have to, in the midst of pre- preparing the children, you got to prepare for yourself. Listen, I'm telling you, <laughs> I always talk about, you know, waking up and at least if you take 15 minutes for yourself, like everybody has 15 minutes. And if you struggle getting up early, just set your alarm 15 minutes earlier than you woke up the day before. And just build on that, you know, and it makes a world of difference. I mean, I think I I need to work out, I need to take a shower, and I need to be in my devotionals before you get up in order (laughs) to say I check me off and then do you. (laughs) And I was the opposite. I was at nighttime because I'm not a morning person. Okay. It was everybody in the the bed. Yeah. yeah. And from nine till about 11, that was my bath time. That was my glass of wine. That was I my- I love time. it. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I, the, the, the point is it doesn't, whatever works for you, works you, for you. Mm-hmm. 
make that happen. Um, and I was gonna say, what's the saying they say on the plane? You know, put the oxygen mask on your fingers before you have somebody else. It's the same idea with parents. Like you, you've got to figure out. So we were talking about organization and stuff for for um the kids, mm-hmm. but it's organization for the parents too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Especially if you're working from home. Yeah. You got to figure out what that looks like, and it maybe you're not. Maybe someone's coming into your home, or you're taking your student somewhere while you're at work. But either way, you do have to have an organization to the day. I still say that a lot of this, if you break it down to its core, mm-hmm. it's the same principles that you would you would employ if it was in person. It's just that I think the physical idea that I'm not handing my child off to someone else in another location is kind of got people not thinking common sense. Everything that we've shared tonight everything we've shared at the, on the other um, call, they're all good, sound principles for the kids and for the parents. Mm-hmm. So if you kind of sh- take a woo-saw of that, okay, this is virtual, they're not in school, or they're on a the computer, or I got to send them and I'm scared. All the principles that you would use as a good mom of a student, they apply here. They just look a little bit different. And give yourself some grace. I also want to say... Let me let me help the parents out real quick. If you have a if you have a friend and you don't have kids and you don't you know you just single at home, would you help a mother out? Okay, take that kid for an hour. Take that kid for a couple of hours. Like your kids are out of the house, help somebody out because yes, we will do it. Yes, we will make a way. But if the village understands how much this is impacting parents. Like help some, just take them for a couple of hours so they can just get out of the house and run an errand by themselves. Yes. As much as possible, <laughs> as much as possible, my no friend, I hope my no kid friends hear this. Come, come, you, don't let me ask you. Don't let them ask you. Just, just go, just go. I give you permission, just go. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I hope that this episode has been helpful for you thus far. I have to stop it there because we are at our time for this week's episode. Tune in next week to see what else the Educator Moms had to say about virtual learning and deciding whether to send our kids back after the first nine weeks are over. Thank you all so much for listening. I really appreciate it. You can connect with me over on Instagram at Single Black Motherhood. You can like the page on Facebook, Single Black Motherhood. Check out the website, singleblackmotherhood.com. And as always, if you have any topic suggestions, you can send them to me, singleblackmotherhood at gmail.com, or just shoot me a DM over on Instagram. All right, I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.